0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the pastor here. And I'm so glad that you decided to to join us this morning. We are continuing uh, week two of our Unfazed series, and we're looking at how to have complete confidence in the middle of a troubling world. And another way that, that I've been thinking is, how do we weather the storms of life instead of wither? And last week, we talked about how in this season with all the chaos around us, with all those things vying for our attention, how do we fully give our attention to God? And we looked at, we give our attention to God by meditating and focusing on His Word. In fact, choosing to delight in that, allowing it to be the thing that guides us and leads us forward. And as we do that, we actually get a new direction. And so this morning, we're going to continue with this idea of unfazed, how we can still move forward in confidence. But this morning we're going to look at how to do that in the middle of culture and all that's going on around us and in the middle of intimidation. And I kind of combined uh, two messages into one because I think it really does fit what we're facing right now uh, in our world. And so this morning we're looking at how to be unfazed by culture and intimidation. I want to start, and this message is going to be Really like big picture to start with, some framework. I hope it will help you to kind of orient so you can see what's going on around us and then give you a sense of how to move forward. And then I want to get into some specifics of of how to do that. But I I want to start with this this first point to to build on. It's this. uh, We need to understand the times and be unfazed. So we need to understand what's going on around us. I don't know if there's been a period in my life that i've experienced before where i have seen as much chaos and as much change and as much unknown all come at the same time i don't know about you but that that's what it's been like for me and so again all of our bearings it kind of seems like we're maybe out to sea and we're a little seasick we're not exactly sure uh, what to do and so we really do need to understand the times uh, specifically if, if you're a christ follower You need to understand the time so that you know as you follow Christ, how do you represent him well in this world, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, as you relate to your friends. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament of the the men of David who were his army as he became the new king of Israel. Uh, They were in the middle of fighting and so much chaos in their own world, and David had become king after King Saul had died. And he had mighty men that rose up to help him. And there's a description of these mighty men that I want to kind of pay attention to and really ask God that we can become these people as well. Let's read it in First Chronicles 12. It says, Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. And then verse 31 says, Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, who were designated by name, to come and make David king. Now, pay attention to this in verse 32. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. So in the middle of this description of, of these men and this help that was coming to David to to not only give him strength for his army, but also to give him wisdom. You see this description of the sons of Issachar. And that's really where this idea comes from. How do we, just like they did, understand the times? We read correctly what's going on. We read accurately. And not only do we read and understand, but we know what to do. And that's a lot of what life is about. How do we read accurately and then act? Read and act. Read and act. This happens again and again. More than ever with what we're facing right now, we need to understand the time so we can know what to do as well. So I wanna give you a sense of what are things that are going on. Now, these are not just things that you're gonna read on the news or what you're gonna find in social media. I actually wanna give you a sense of the biblical theme of God's work and humanity and how those two come together. I wanna give you a sense of not just what's seen in this world, but also what's happening Behind the scenes, what's actually happening in the spiritual realm? There's actually more than just what we see. There's a spiritual reality. We live in a world that's created by God. It's an open system. He works. He acts. He can do miraculous things. He works through man, but he also has the power to do whatever he wants. And there's also forces of evil at work in the spiritual realm as well. So I want to give you a sense. Part of what's going on around us is, is there's more than just what we can see. In the flesh. There's a spiritual realm, and so I want to kind of give you a sense of that. So let's start. Where can we kind of place our bearings? Well, it begins with this. The world uh, and our culture has a problem. The world, meaning the systems of the world, all the, the nations of the world, all of mankind, and then specifically in America, our own culture, uh, we we have a problem. And I've been thinking about, well, what does that look like or what does that mean? Well, in our society today, especially in our country, there's a great deal of malice, of contempt, anger, and hatred. I think you'd agree as as we turn on the news, as we look at social media, this is true. Uh, There's a growing resentment, bitterness, partiality that's driving America to greater division, to greater disorder, and to greater injustice. Uh, We all see it, and many of us, we don't know what to do. Again, we we don't really know how to read the situation and then how to act. We don't know what we should think, what we should say, and what we should do. Most of you have also experienced just a sense of you don't even know what you should say uh, because if you express your opinion, you could be labeled. You could be judged. You could be punished in some way. You could be canceled. There's a culture of just cancel culture where if you say something that's out of line with what seems right through the masses, then... You can be silenced, and that can be very intimidating. So why is that happening, and how did we get here? Well, this is nothing new. The world's problems are actually nothing new. There's been problems throughout history as humans have existed. Although we have a great deal of potential, there's also a great deal of problems that come as we relate to each other, as we seek out our own interests, and so I want to talk a little bit about that. So let's talk about the problem, and we're going to dig in through this series again to the Psalms. The Psalms are God's praise book and prayer book that He's given to us so that we can pray back really our our sense of where we are to to God and ask Him for help, ask Him for direction and, and guidance. God's Word, again, as we meditate on it, it leads us forward and we can get new direction. So today we're going to dig into Psalm 2 and a little bit of Psalm 3. Last week was was Psalm 1, attention. How can we be like this tree that flourishes? Well, today, as we look at Psalm 2, it's really a sense of, okay, in the middle of everything, adoration. So from attention to adoration. But in the middle of that, there's this problem with the world and with our culture. So let's define that. What is the problem? Well, Psalm 2 actually defines it, and that is that the world is opposed to God. At the core of what we're facing in our culture and in our world is that there is opposition to the Almighty God, the Creator. This is what it says in Psalm 2. It's a question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. Notice who they take kind of issue with in the beginning. It's against the Lord. And the psalmist here is describing the Psalm of David like, why are they raging? And it's actually a really interesting question. I don't know if you've asked that yourself as you're reading what's going on. Why is this happening? Well, at the core, there is opposition to God himself. It's very interesting. The word plot there. Why do they plot in vain? is actually the same word that we looked at in Psalm 1, the same action, the same verb as meditate. But in this Psalm, in Psalm 2, the people aren't meditating and considering God. It's the opposite. They're meditating and murmuring and just kind of plotting and considering how they can get around God, how they can come against God. And so it's an interesting question. Why does that happen? They're plotting. They're raging And they're coming against God. So that's the first problem. The world is opposed to God. The second is an equal problem that causes just as much havoc for us. And it's this. The world is opposed to those who follow God. So not only do they oppose God, but they oppose the people who follow him. The continuation of Psalm 2 says this. Not only are they against the Lord, but they're against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So you see this breaking their bonds, cast away their cords. It's actually here describing the boundaries for how they govern, specifically God's people, his moral law, the boundaries, the guardrails for how we should operate, how we should approach him and relate to him, how we should approach others and relate to those near us. So there's a sense of like, how do we, We break this. How do we do what we want to do? That's at the core of humans' problems. And then in Psalm 3, David again is speaking, and here he faced many problems. David is is like us. He's a, a mixed bag. He was described as a man after God's own heart, but at the same time, he caused many problems. He sinned. He went against the Lord. His own family was destroyed, and his son Absalom was coming after him. And in Psalm 3, this is what he says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. There's that word selah, like this pause, this reflect. Many are saying there is no salvation in God. Saying God won't save you. God won't help you. God's not what you need right now. And I believe that this was written so many years ago, but I believe this is the same problems that we're seeing again and again that we've seen through history. And when people oppose God and when people oppose the people of God, uh, this can come through attacks or intimidation, mocking, silencing, degrading. Now, this isn't just for Christians, uh, you you see it really with with anyone, but specifically for people who put their hope in in God alone, that this is actually going to be normal. This this is going to happen. And I want to describe this so so you're aware, but also for you to not be afraid, because God has given us what we need to still be a light in the middle of the darkness that, that we face. But there's another subtle form of intimidation going on. And this happens a lot of times within us. And we may have been fed it by different systems that we've experienced, whether in schools, maybe by government, maybe even in our family or our friends, what people have said, and it's this, that God is not relevant. There's a part of intimidation right now in this wave that's happening in culture, which is man is relevant. We are the most important, but God, his ways, they're outdated. They can't really be true that maybe worked for another time, but that doesn't work for us today. And so there's this sense of intimidation that comes from this irrelevance that people push on those who follow Christ. So that's that's part of the problem. So why does this matter? And how is this possible? And why is this the case? Well, again, I want to give you a backdrop. And I want to actually start with our origin. Like right at the beginning of creation. So let's begin there. How is this the case and why is this possible? Origin of the species. Who are we? Throughout the centuries, people have been asking that question. Philosophy, worldview, culture is built upon that premise. Who are we? What's our makeup? How do we fit into this world? What's our purpose? What are we supposed to give ourselves to? What meaning do we have? So that's a very important question. Well, according to the scriptures, and that's the place that I want to start. And I encourage you to start because that comes from the creator, God himself. According to the scriptures, we are the image bearers of God. In Genesis 1 26, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Notice when God created, he created human, the human race and humanity in his image, in his likeness. That's the only creation he created that resembles his identity, that has his image. And he gave us this this rule and this dominion over the land. What that means is the whole race in Adam, Adam representing the whole human race, started with him. We are equally created in his image. We're equally valuable to him and we're equally given the great blessing of filling and subduing the earth. That's part of that dominion. We can rule over it together in God's name. So this was in the beginning, in Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, this was the the purpose of God in creating mankind. So that's a very important place to start. Our origin is we are the image bearers of of God. And that gives us great identity. But the story didn't end there. And if you're familiar with the Christian story, this will be a reminder. if, If you're new to Christianity and investigating, I hope this gives you a sense of kind of the sweeping theme of God's work in the world. So we're image bearers, but what's What's the problem? That's the second question. What's the problem? Why then don't we live with that in mind? Well, the problem is one word, sin. And Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice that word, all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just like we all had our image in God and we have equal importance because of sin, we're now all equally marred and stained by sin. Uh, We are the whole race of Adam, the whole human race. uh, We're in rebellion against God. We've joined Satan's cosmic rebellion as well. He was an angel in heaven of great importance but he wanted power for himself. He wanted to be worshiped like God and he rebelled and God threw him out with one third of the angels that were fallen as well, wanting their own praise and their own glory. And now you see, this is part of the spiritual war going on. There's Satan who's leading the darkness with his legions of demons and they have rebelled as well. And as soon as humans sinned and they bought the lie that the serpent Satan said in the garden to move away from God's commands to seek Your own purpose outside of God, sin entered the world. And we're equally in rebellion. We're separated from God because of that, because of sin. We're ashamed. We're guilty. We're we're dying. Sin brought death to this world. Now, we're capable as humans of great beauty, love, and goodness. There's no discounting that. We can see that in our world. In fact, all the great contributions that mankind has made. It's amazing the things that we've been able to do. But just like all of the greatness and the beauty that you see, there's also a great selfishness, pride, and violence. And we're seeing that at work as well. Because we've sinned and we rebelled, uh, we're worthy of, of God's wrath and punishment. In fact, the Bible says that we're cursed because of rebelling against him. We're under the dominion of Satan and his fallen demons. We're easily deceived by lies We're spiritually oppressed by their power. I don't know about you, but I don't think about that that much. But when you begin to take a step back and you ask the question, what's the problem? You cannot just look at this world and try to find the answers in this world. Part of the problem is there is a spiritual dimension that's going on. And God is calling us forward despite our sin to turn back to him. So the real problem we're facing today is not bad people versus good people. Now, you may ask yourself, well, I'm I'm not that bad, especially compared to that person. But according to God and his righteousness, anyone who sins is actually a sinner and is a rebel. And so we're equally, again, marred. So it's not actually about bad versus good, because who is good without God when we've sinned? It's not about the strong versus the weak. It's not about the oppressor versus the oppressed, it's actually not about racism, although we need to deal with that in a way that pleases God. We need to make sure that we remind people of the image that we all have. We're image bearers before God. We have equal value. It's not about sexism. It's not about economic inequality. It's not about even political systems of power. What this is about, according to God's word, is that those are all the symptoms And not the disease. The disease is sin. And friends, you you and I, we have this disease. So when we talk about the problem of what's going on in our world, you can look to many of the symptoms. But if we fail to miss or to see that the issue itself is the disease and not the symptoms, it is sin, we're just blindly confused and we don't know what to do. Now, in our world, there's been great advancements, but there's been major shifts throughout the last few hundred years where, again, as we're asking the question, who are we? As soon as we've looked to ourselves for answers and not to God, and as long as we've said God is irrelevant, we've tried to close the system of a reality so he can't have his way. Again, we've just been the blind leading the blind. And secular humanism and postmodernism and nihilism and Marxism and socialism, they just start and end with man. And again, we, we have so much capabilities of great good in this world, but in ourselves, we cannot rid the world of the problems we, we face. We don't have all the answers and we definitely don't have all the meaning. So, our origin is we're image bearers. But because of sin, we've we've lost that. So God gave us this, this grand purpose and this meaning. But because of sin and our rebellion, we lost that image. I kind of compare it to kids that are trying to create something beautiful. And they want to go into the yard. And they wet the soil. And they begin to create this beautiful creation of a mud pie. I don't know if you ever did that when you were a kid. It's just fun to to get dirty. And here's a kind of a famous mud pie painting. This is actually from the late 1800s, 1878, I believe. And it's called Mud Pie. I think it's fitting. But you see these children in this kind of by this log taking their mud and creating their creation. And just oblivious to what's going on, just enjoying that. And here's another picture of just in the mud getting dirty. That is actually a picture, I think, of, of our problem, the picture of sin. As humans have turned away from God and looked to just create meaning and purpose for ourselves outside of him, we're like those children where we're just in the mud, we're in the dirt and all we have are these mud pies and we look at them like, look at this grand creation and God is just looking saying, but I've made you image bearers. I've made you into something so much more beautiful. So that's the problem. I like this quote by Francis Schaeffer, who is a Christian thinker, apologist, a philosopher himself. He says this, the basic psychological problem is trying to be what we are not. And he's talking about humans and trying to carry what we cannot carry. Most of all, the basic problem is not being willing to be the creatures we are before the creator. I think that is just a great quote. We we are not willing to be the creatures we are before the creator. Now, if the story were to end there, we were image bearers. We rebelled. We're in this cosmic rebellion. We've plagued with the disease of sin. Wouldn't that be one of the most sad stories you've ever heard? It's actually tragic. But, But that's not the end. The problem isn't the end. Man isn't the end in themselves. And that actually is the good news. So, what, what's the solution? Well, just like it began with God and Him as the Creator and the Almighty One who brought us into existence, who, out of His great power, brought us into being, said it, and it happened. God is the solution to humanity's problem. He is God. There is no one like Him. His purposes will prevail. The meaning that he's given us is still the greatest meaning that we can ever have. There's no substitutes. He is never intimidated. He's the solution. Now, notice the rest of Psalm 2. And I just want to read this in its entirety because I think it's so fitting. It begins with that question. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? And then they turn against God and they turn against God's people. Well, notice the rest of the story. This is verse 4. This is the response. He, that's talking about God, who sits in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Again, it's kind of this this laughing or or this mocking of, you, the one I've created, are saying you have no need for me? It's kind of unfathomable. That's that derision. Verse 5, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This was talking about the temple, Jerusalem, representative almost really of of God's kingdom. Verse seven, I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now Psalm two, what begins to happen is you see, this is a prophetic Psalm of the coming of the Messiah. It began with the problem, the nations raging, the people plotting, coming against God and his people. And God's answer and God's solution is that there is my son who I've begotten. And you see that in John three sixteen, God who sent his begotten son to the world to save us. And so this is a prophecy of that. Verse eight, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So the psalmist is just giving this imagery of no one can stand against God. He's the ultimate power and authority. What he wants to do, he will do. Verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, listen to this imagery. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled and it closes out with blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now that imagery of kiss the son is this kind of, you, you would kiss the ring of the king to pay respect. You would bow down, you'd kiss the ring and say, I serve you, I look to you, whatever you command, I will do. So what God is saying is I will send my son. This is in the Old Testament. I will send my son to save I will send the Messiah to pay the penalty. It's not found in the wisdom of man. It's not found in any nation. It's found for all who bow the knee to Jesus. So again, this is a a prophecy. It's it's very powerful. And then Psalm 3.8, again, the answer, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And stop and think. Notice the world's presentation. We're plotting against you, God. We don't need you, God. We're raging against you, God. There's no salvation in you. You're irrelevant. You don't matter. And then God's response is, well, no, I'm actually will send my son and he will rule. And salvation is found in me. That's the response. The solution is God himself. I want to show a video that that highlights this to just give you a sense of the sweeping themes in the scripture and and why this is so powerful. And it centers on this promise in Isaiah 52, 7 of the messenger bringing the good news. But I hope this will give you a sense of kind of how this fits together in the time of when the psalmists were were being written and people were praying and turning to God for help. I hope this gives you a sense of how that connects then Uh, to our world now and God's solution and what he had in mind. So let's watch this together.
1: There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah.
2: The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right,
1: because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone.
2: Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls and far out on the hills we see a messenger and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message.
1: What's the message?
2: that despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace.
1: And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their
2: God still reigns. Now, in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel.
1: So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel?, They mean, do you believe
2: the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news
1: that God reigns.
2: Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also
1: said that this kingdom was arriving with him.
2: Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee
1: is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins.
2: And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which
1: is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king.
2: That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love
1: and then jesus sends his followers to go out
2: and keep announcing this
1: good news of the upside down kingdom
2: and to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him the king who defeated death with his love
0: well i hope that that clip was was helpful Uh, That was by the Bible Project. And if you go to BibleProject.com, they they have so many great resources. I I encourage you to do that. It's actually going to be on a list of resources that you can check out uh, as next steps this week. But I hope that gives you a sense and this imagery of, wow, this is what God has been doing. He is the solution. And it starts like, as you saw, that God sends a Savior. Now, you'll see some references on the the listening guide, and if you haven't had a chance to look at that yet, if you just go to Sermon Notes, you can see that. You can print it, but on there, there's some references, and I encourage you, I'm not going to read every reference, but I want you to know this is where the the truth is found. I'm not just pulling this out out of thin air. I want you to know this is what the Bible says, and so you can read that for yourself. You can wrestle with it. You can look at the scriptures, and so I encourage you to do that. So the solution is God himself, and specifically, God sends a Savior. And from the very beginning, just like that video showed, God promised to send a seed or a Savior born of a woman who would crush the source of all the evil in the world and division within the race of men with each other and the division that we face uh, between us and God. The promise was developed over thousands of years This is not something that we're just, again, experiencing today. This this need for a Savior has existed since the beginning of time. God promised through Abraham that the seed would be a blessing to the whole world. He promised David, again, the person we've been listening to in the Psalms, that the seed would rule and reign upon the throne of David. Much of what Psalm 2 was saying. He promised through the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that their seed would achieve His victory by dying for his people to pay for their sins, to pay for their rebellion. Now, why seed? Well, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear fruit. So the Savior would die, and through his death, through his burial and resurrection, he would provide salvation, redemption, and restoration to the entire human race. That's God's solution. This is his redemptive plan. He sends a savior to the world. Now, who? Who is the savior? Well, Jesus, he is the savior of the world. He is the Messiah. And again, you can read the scriptures that talk about that. Jesus Christ is the promised seed, the Lord's anointed. He is the Messiah. Now, what's interesting about Jesus, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, he became one of us. He was born in a manger, in an ordinary birth, although it was miraculous, at the same time, it wasn't welcomed like, like a king. He had the lowest rank. He was underprivileged. He was an oppressed Israelite in the middle of Roman rule. What he teaches us is that his identity wasn't based on just his, his class or his status, even his, his ethnicity. His identity was based on the relationship and the fact that he was from God. And that was the most important. He lived a perfect, righteous life, full of justice, truth, and love. He was the perfect human. The reason that's important is he provided the righteousness that we need to stand in the presence of a righteous God. Because of sin, none of us are righteous, but Jesus was. He never sinned. He was perfect. He provided the complete and final, what the Bible calls atonement or payment for our sin. And we could be reconciled with God and man. You see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Our rebellion, again, is death. Not only just the degrading death of this life, but, and death as we kind of round our days here, but, but also death forever in eternity. But he provided the reconciliation. He did this by dying for his people. On the cross, the wrath of God was poured out for all of our sins, all of our injustice, all of our wrongs, Past, present, and future. All of it. The payment that Jesus made was complete. There's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt. There's no more punishment needed. Recently, if you have felt guilty or shamed and it's been just this general sense and you just feel oppressed, Jesus' payment has paid that. You don't have to pay that anymore doesn't mean we we don't make things right when we sin and wrong, but this overwhelming sense of guilt and shame can cripple us if we actually can't point it to a specific sin that we have. But with Jesus, his death paid for all of that. It entitles us to the equality, to the blessings, the privileges, the promises that God has made in the scriptures to those who choose to obey his commandments. Jesus has made this new life possible. He's reconciled all of us Equally because of the cross, rich, poor, man and woman, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We are now what the scriptures called co-heirs to the gracious gift of life. And we now can be brothers and sisters in this new identity under God's family. So who? Jesus. He is the solution, the savior of the world. He also brings peace on earth. In Luke 2, you may have heard this scripture as people explain and celebrate the Christmas story. The angels proclaimed in Luke 2:14, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." That's very interesting, isn't that just what we long for right now? Goodwill and peace toward men. So you see when Jesus came as the savior, he came to bring this peace. But the peace was not found in man himself again It was Jesus, the Son of God, the begotten Son, who was sent to live this perfect human life so we can be reconciled back to God, so that we can receive that reconciliation, be made okay before God, and then also now, because of the power and the payment of Jesus, we can be reconciled to each other. What that means is that healing and forgiveness can exist between enemies here and now on this earth, not because of our great system or our great thought, but because of what Jesus has done. Christ doesn't tell us, this was part of his teaching, to punish our enemies, but, but to love them and to do good for them. Why? Because we don't have to pull our meaning from any man. Our meaning comes from God. Only the gospel saves us. And only those who've been awakened and transformed by the gospel, this good news, can truly make right for what they have done wrong. That is to, to receive forgiveness. So, this is the solution to division. This is the solution to injustice. And this is the solution to corruption in our world. People can say that we are irrelevant, that God isn't a factor in this world. But if you follow Jesus Christ and you decided to bow your knee to him, what we know is that he is the solution. And all of the things that we can do without God, if he's not the factor, if he's not the person we're looking to again, we're just in the mud creating something that we think is beautiful, but it doesn't have the image of God. So Jesus came to bring peace and we need him for peace and to experience peace. That's the next point. We, we all have to be reborn. There's a few scriptures you can read about that. To be reborn means that you turn to God in repentance. You change roads. You change direction. You put your your confidence in Jesus Christ. You don't put your confidence in yourself or in any man-made system. You also confess your sin to God. You say, God, I'm a sinner. I have the disease of sin. It's destroyed my direction, my, my past, my present, my future. I, I deserve judgment. And you give your whole life to Christ. You confess, you agree, I'm a sinner And I need to be healed. And when you do that, he changes your perspective. He changes your values. And he changes your life. To experience this peace, you have to be reborn. That's what it means to be born again. And now, again, you become a part of this body of Christ. You can rule and reign here and now. Live your life in a Christ-honoring way. Why is this important? Well, you now have a new identity. It's not what any man puts on you. It's not what your family told you. It's not what culture tells you. It's not what you've read in a textbook. It's not what you see on social media. It's not what you see in a meme. You can have a new identity because Jesus Christ came to link us back as image bearers to get us back to our creator where we look to him for guidance and help. And he paid the penalty so that we could be healed of our disease. We have a new identity and we have a new life. And as you have a new identity and as you have a new life and you're reborn, here's the good news. We now have a new destiny and this is our destiny. We have a bright future. I don't know the last time I've read something that talked about the bright future we have in this world. Everything seems dismal, But we can have a bright future. And this is the difference that we can make. If you're a Christ follower, you're a part of his plan of redemption. You're part of sharing the difference that Jesus has made, what he did for you. What that means is we exercise our God given rule in justice and righteousness and wisdom and peace. We want to show people God's ways, we want to teach, we want to live, and we want to hold out the word of truth, the light of the scriptures to a dying world that's so in need of being rescued. That again is in the mud pit, just looking for how they can get clean. Like yeast, we are leaven in society. And we pour this leaven in with with truth and love and grace and mercy, justice and generosity. Have you noticed this is what everyone longs for? But no one knows how to find But when Jesus told his people, you you be salt and light to the world, that's what he's saying is you show people what you have, the difference that you have in Jesus and how that makes a difference. If you're a Christ follower and what the scripture says, we we actually don't believe in utopia or heaven and earth being made completely great by man-made systems, as many believe and teach today. Uh, we, we know that it's only possible after the sources of evil are finally defeated on the day that, that Christ returns. When Christ returns, he will judge all of mankind. He is the judge. He will bring to light all that has been hidden and the wickedness that men and women have committed. The scriptures say nothing is hidden in God's sight. I don't know if you've been in this, this time recently where it's like we don't know what the truth is, Everything seems hidden. There's mixed messages. As soon as we think we're kind of getting onto something or to get our bearings of what we should do, the information changes. Again, we're blindly following. We don't know what to do. It's so confusing. But everything that's hidden, all the agendas right now, all the motives of people, including our own, will be brought to light. But here's the good news. God has already punished Christ for our sins on the cross. And that's why what we do here and now with Christ is so important. Because those who have not received his salvation will suffer eternal torment with Satan and the demons that rebelled in the beginning of time. This is a terrifying truth, but it's right and just once all the facts are revealed on the day of judgment. Because what it will show is we all were diseased with sin. We all rebelled. And what did we do with Jesus? That's what we're going to be asked when we face God. What did we do with His Son, Jesus? Did we turn to Him? Did we bow our knee to Him? And what it says in the last day is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's very interesting. We have the choice right now to do that freely with what we can gain from the Scriptures, the truth. And I just ask that God will remove the blinders from all of our eyes to see that Redemption is found in Christ alone. There's no other way. There's no other system. There's no other religion. It's through Christ. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. No one can have access to God, his image bearer, except through him, except through Jesus. But in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So it's either on this side of history or as it wraps up in the final judgment. We don't talk about this stuff a lot. But this, again, is what's going on behind the scenes. This is the grand theme of creation. And God is still calling us to turn to him. In the end, Christ, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, united again like it was in the garden before the fall, and we will rule and reign with him for all who have decided to follow Jesus. This will happen forever and ever, just as he intended in the beginning. So I know this, this is a lot. But this is the gospel. Just like we saw in the video, and just like I've been explaining to you, this is the good news. We can be so focused on the problem that we forget that God has already given the solution. We don't have to wait for someone to come up with a solution. We don't have to wait for any man to solve the problems that we face in the world. God has already solved it. He solved it with His Son, Jesus And he's created the church so that we can make a difference in this world. So in closing, what does this mean uh, for you? Well, it's easy for us with all that's going on to just kind of not rock the boat, to just stay in our lane. Everyone can kind of do what they want to do. But but that's actually not not the gospel. That's not why we are here. And so you may be a follower of Christ and you don't want to rock the boat or you don't want to be be labeled. And I get that. That's something that's, you know, I struggle with as well. Like, I don't want to be that person. Whatever that person is, someone who may be kind of crazy about their their faith. But we have an opportunity now that I don't know we've had before. And that is people are desperate for the truth. They long for it. They long for the light. Because they're covered in the mud and they want to be cleaned. So we exist If you're a Christ follower, we exist to to know God and to glorify Him. Glorify means we magnify Him. Out of everything going on in our life, we always get to the point where God is the greatest and the biggest thing that we want to focus on. We want to build our life on Him. But a part of that is we also want to help people to know and glorify Him as well. Because if this problem has diseased and marred everyone's sin, then we want to help everyone get out of the disease. To find the solution in Jesus. And so that's part of what we want our life to be. But I want to just give you a sense of of what this means for you. And this is the the, the type of thing that you just need to settle. Because again, it's so easy. We we just don't want to rock the boat. We maybe just want peace in our life. We just want some success, some affluence. We don't really want to kind of get crazy. Again, stay in our, our lane. But that's not the life that God's given us. We have an opportunity to make a difference, to shine. So here's some things you may want to, to settle. To follow Christ means these things. I, I will likely not fit in uh, the rest of my life. Like I'm not going to fit in and fit exactly what the culture says I should be or what I should be about. The good news is that, that's actually how Jesus was. He did not fit within the systems. Also, my value system will be unusual. In fact, if you follow Christ, your value system should be unusual. It's an upside-down kingdom, and you just have to to settle that. The world will constantly uh, predict our downfall. The church, Christians, we don't need to be surprised. While I may not be accepted by people, I will be blessed by God. Another just really important thing is that the world, this world, is not my home. This world is not my home. In fact, this world is not my final destination. I am a pilgrim passing through. When you're a pilgrim, you realize like I'm not getting all I can from this land and from this earth. I'm on my way to meet my father in heaven. So this is not my ultimate home. Another thing we have to settle is I'm not going to get out of this world unscathed. I will be hurt. I will be judged. There'll be people that will come against us. There'll be people that say we are irrelevant. There may be people in this time, in the near future, where we're going to be silenced. But did you know that the scars that happen in this world because of people coming against us, in heaven, they're they're trophies. The scars in this world become trophies in heaven. Another thing we have to settle is that I will not trade the solution in my life surrender to Christ for any other system. I will not check out and I'll not turn away. And then finally, we we need to be careful that we're not buying into what's popular in popular culture. There's a pull in all of us. Even as we get older in age, we want to be cool. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. That's normal. But again, our identity as an image bearer is to be accepted by God outweighs being accepted by anyone else and so we need to remember that so the response here's the two things the response to intimidation is adoration and that's why the psalms were written with all the chaos ensuing around us the psalms were written so we could dig in we have these prayers of how to praise it back to god so i'm gonna have some psalms that you're going to be able to read this week to help you focus on that but the response to intimidation is to adoration you adore Christ. You adore what God has done. Out of everything that's big and drowning out and overwhelming you and maybe intimidating you, you, you just realize God is bigger than that. God is bigger. And as I adore him and magnify him and glorify him, wow, God is big. And the rest of these things going on, they're small compared to him. God is larger. He's larger than any threat. He's wiser than any system. His kingdom is the only kingdom that will go on forever and ever. So we want to adore that and be a part of that. So that's the first. The response to intimidation is adoration. The second is this. The response to intimidation is invitation. Now, it's easy as we think, well, the world is against God. The world is against me if I follow Christ. But at the same time, God has put us here as again, the image bearers and as ambassadors to say, hey, you want to be a part of a different kingdom? You want to be a part of something that will give you the meaning and the purpose you've longed for? That's the invitation for people to join in with what God is doing. That's actually the mission of Ridgeview Church. Our mission statement is to invite people to experience the refreshing life found in Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's why we exist. And a big verse is something that was mentioned in that video we watched, Isaiah 52, seven. And it says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, how we can be saved, who say to Zion, your God reigns. That was actually the first verse that we began to think about as our team came together to launch Ridgeview Church. How could we be a people that we look to the mountains, we look to the Ridgeview, we see this view and are reminded like how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news, the gospel, that although we have a problem, the solution is found in Jesus. So our response to intimidation is adoration and our response to intimidation is invitation, inviting people to take steps towards Jesus. That brings me to maybe one of you or some of you or many of you who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. You've not yet decided about the knee in this life to follow him. I want to encourage you here at Ridgeview Church. We love you. I love you. We exist so that you will be able to discover who Jesus is and give your life to him. That's the most important thing. We want to glorify God and we want to invite you to glorify God with us. So keep asking your questions. Keep investigating. Keep taking steps towards our community. I believe that you're onto something. If you're investigating, don't let the voices of intimidation drown out what God may be trying to speak to you about. He loves you and he is calling you to his son. So I encourage you, if you've not yet decided to bow the knee, to follow Jesus, you can do that today. And here at Ridgeview Church, you are welcome, we accept you, and we want you to be a part. And I believe that this is the place where you can find the meaning and the purpose that you've longed for. So our response to all of this is to adore Christ. Thank you, God, for what you've done. And that's why the Psalms are written. And then we want to invite people to take the steps towards Jesus as well. In closing, I want to just walk through some next steps. These next steps, I believe, are our way of saying, okay, what do I do? How do I act? How do I take a step forward? The first is I I just encourage you to read some scriptures, and I've I've recommended some. You could read all of these. You could read some of them, but read Psalm 2 that we've read today. Just read that for yourself. Meditate on that. Read it again. Go back and, and focus on it and maybe... Get some paper, get a journal and and just write some thoughts. What does this mean to you? What does this mean you should do or not do? Read Psalm 3, read Psalm 37. So read these Psalms and then pray them back to God. The second next step is what I've already described. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you haven't accepted his gift of eternal life, that's what you do. You accept that gift and you decide, I will bow the knee to Jesus for the first time third next step is pray for an opportunity to share this good news with somebody this next week. I don't know the last time you shared the difference that Jesus made in your life if you're a Christian, but people are longing for somebody to give them an answer. And they can't just intuit. They need to be told the gospel. They need to be told the good news. So what if you prayed this week? What would happen if you prayed and said, God, I don't know who it is. I don't know where this would happen. I don't know how it will happen, but Can I, will you provide an opportunity for me to share the difference Jesus made in my life? Does that just put like a pit in your stomach, right? Like, oh my goodness, but what if God has placed you in the path of someone where you can make a difference by what you share? So that's the third one. Then the last is check out the resources that I've listed there to learn more about the Christian worldview, to learn more about what does a Christian identity mean and how does it make an impact in life? And so you could check out those resources. Uh, Some of them are books and you can find them on Amazon. Some might be videos and and articles. And and I encourage you to to take a next step in, in checking those out. I hope this was helpful. For me, this is what life is all about. God has put us in such a time as this to tell people the difference that Jesus made and to remember though all the voices and all the chaos, God is our anchor and he leads us forward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, do we need it. You are the solution to our problem. Thank you, God, for creating us and not giving up on us and sending your son to save and to rescue us. God, I just pray that you will show anyone here, if they've just been trying to find their answers outside of you, that today they'll decide to follow you for the first time. God, if any of us have just been scared and we're, we're just concerned about rocking the boat, will you give us courage to share with those around us the difference that you make? In the end, it doesn't matter just the little beliefs that we had in this, this world. If it doesn't include you and in your redemptive plan, it's actually meaningless. So God, give us courage to move forward and take our next step today. Thank you for being with us. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.